1: Hello and welcome to Circling the Bases, proudly presented by Rotoworld and NBC Sports. My name is DJ Short, and I'm joined here by Eric Samolski. The main focus of today's episode will be an extremely early look at our top 20 fantasy starting pitcher for 2024, as well as some names who just missed our list. We'll also introduce you to some pitchers from overseas who... Could be joining Major League Baseball this offseason, who should keep in mind. But at the top here, Eric, let's dig into the MLB playoffs for a bit. The Rangers are apparently an unstoppable monster. Uh, mm-hmm. Up 2-0 already on the Astros, despite those first two games being in Houston. I know Jordan Alvarez is like doing everything he can to keep the Astros in it, but uh, this is going to be a tough hill to climb for the Astros at this point
2: yeah listen. Uh, I'll give myself partial credit when I said that if the twins um won, they'd be able to beat the Astros because uh, we know that didn't that didn't happen. um but I think it was just you know we we identified a vulnerability with with the Astros. um their starting pitching was not great um at in the end of the year. um and <clears throat> who knew that <clears throat> Jordan Montgomery would be so good or that Nate Eovaldi, who looked like still really injured at the end of the year would just, you know, I mean, he's been a phenomenal playoff pitcher in his career and he's stepping up and now the Rangers get a maybe healthy Max Scherzer for game three. Um, And I just think like the Rangers went on a cold stretch there um, toward the end of the season, which I think overshadowed just how good they were for the vast majority of the year. Um, And I think they're, they're just clearly reminding people right now how good they are. Um, and you know, who would have guessed that their batting average leader in the playoffs would be 21 year old Evan Carter.
1: I know it's crazy, right? I mean, that's, that's something you couldn't account for either, right? you know, uh, even at the start of the season. But I know there's been a lot of conversation about sort of the parity involved with like making the playoffs in the first place. Would you look at the Phillies? You look at the Rangers. These are teams that spent a ton of money to get to where they are, granted Jacob Degrom is not in the Rangers' rotation, which is crazy. They made this run without him. Uh, Cole Raggins, too. We'll you know we'll leave that we'll leave that aside. But these are teams that invested a lot of money in free agency, and it's actually like paying off for them right now.
2: Yeah, I think we got to stop with the narrative that like this playoff format doesn't benefit the teams who get buys. I mean, that's that is a disservice to the Texas Rangers and the Phillies who were really good teams during the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, both of them won 90 games. Yes, the Braves won more games than the Phillies. Um, the, the, first of all, the Astros did not win more games than the Rangers. Yeah. G- exactly tied, right? Yes, Yes. The, or- the Orioles won more games. But just because a team wins 10 more games during the regular season does not mean they are automatically, obviously, the far superior team. Um, a lot of things happen over the course of a long season and with health and the ability to platoon and, and play kind of like hot bats and things like that. Where like these aren't it's not like and no offense at all to any Marlins fans out here, but it's not like we're watching the Marlins in the NLCS right now yeah. who shouldn't have really made the playoffs in a normal yeah. year. And now all of a sudden they're beating better teams like we're watching very good teams playing and beating other very good teams. And there's nothing wrong with what we're seeing on the field.
1: Yeah, I mean, the difference between a 90-win team and a 100-win team is like two wins per extra per month or something. Like, it's not a huge difference over the course of the season. And, you know, like a player like Carter who came up and, you know, has given this this infusion and uh, really just plate discipline beyond his years has been super impressive, both offensively and defensively. He's made a couple of really great catches yeah. Uh, so far this postseason in this game three uh between the Astros and the Rangers back in Arlington. You said Max Scherzer. That's a big question mark. He hasn't pitched in over a month in a competitive game situation. But then Christian Javier going for the Astros, who coming into the year, I think there were big expectations for him to really step up and fill that Verlander type of role. Framer Valdez, too. But Javier, you I think a lot of people expected him to step up Uh in his first playoff start. Javier pitched pretty good but he was wild too I believe he walked five batters he's yeah. kind of an enigma too um you could see Scherzer come out and struggle I mean you saw that with the Mets for a good portion in the season where you didn't know what version of Scherzer you we were gonna get but knowing and you know from Scherzer's perspective it's just like uh, and I think John Smoltz said this uh yesterday on the broadcast and in, in regard to Evaldi it's like you can be max effort for these games because you don't know if you're gonna pitch again this season so you know right. kind of a a hyped-up Max Scherzer in front of a home crowd? Well, you never know.
2: Yeah, it's hard to discount that, right? Because yeah. you know he's going to give whatever he can. And I was critical of Javier coming into the playoffs, and he had a really good start the last time out, as you mentioned. So it's like, is one start going to drastically change what we were seeing at the end of, of the year? Yeah. I mean, I would I would say no, but we're seeing with Nathan Eovaldi that like maybe it should. Maybe that there are guys who gear up for the playoffs um yeah. so who re- who really knows i mean listen i don't think the astros are are going out here and getting swept i would be i'd be shocked so they're gonna take one of these games coming up um they're they're too good a team but this rangers team is really strong and then you know i, I think you know moving to the the nl side like the phillies team that we saw throughout the year we we need to acknowledge that that was either without bryce harper or with a limited bryce harper Um, and as he's gotten healthy and also whatever was going on with Trey Turner too, right? I mean, we need, we need to acknowledge that too. And then, you know, standing ovation changed the whole season, right? But the Phillies with a healthy Bryce Harper and a producing up to expectations, Trey Turner are, are vastly different team than, slumping Trey Turner and unhealthy Bryce Harper so like the fact that they're getting hot right now should not be viewed as as a shocking thing um you know maybe Zach Gallen shouldn't throw fastballs right down the middle of the plate um but they're gonna be a tough out regardless of of who they face and I think it'll be a competitive series you know tonight on Tuesday Merrill Kelly versus Aaron Noah is a, a solid pitching matchup and one that where the Diamondbacks could get to Nola. You know, we've seen him sure. have some rough some rough starts. Um, but it's hard to count out the, the Phillies right now the way they're swinging the bats.
1: Yeah, and especially in Philadelphia, where that home field advantage is is crazy wow. right now. Yeah, and, and Kelly Kelly against Nola, I think that's a coin flip game. Uh, Nola mm-hmm. has been pretty good in his first two postseason starts. Kelly was great against the Dodgers. So uh, we'll see. I, I think for, just looking at in the American League series, teams are 0-21 all-time when losing the first two LCS games at home. It's a very difficult thing to overcome yeah. as they go into Arlington. We'll see, but hopefully we get some more entertaining baseball here in the days to come. But basketball season, almost here. It's a week away from the start of the season. That means one thing, draft season. Get the Roto-World Basketball Draft Guide, which includes all the rankings, player outlooks, and projections you need to win your league this year, go to NBCSports.com to get your draft guide now and use code PRESEASON25 to save 25% off and receive a $10 Fanatics e-gift card. It's a great deal. So if you have a fantasy basketball draft this week in the next couple of days, uh, definitely get our RotoWorld World Fantasy Basketball draft guide today.
0: Setting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: So like I said, we are going to spend this show talking about next season, kind of an early look at the starting pitcher terrain. And and last week, if you remember, we kind of did a State of the Union as as to Mm – Uh, what we're thinking fantasy-wise. And I think we each said, you know, we're a little more resistant to go really aggressive early with starting pitching. Now I found this a pretty interesting exercise because while I said that, I felt like once I got to like top through the top 20, it it was just like, it's almost like a crapshoot of where this could go. So while you're, you're going to be less aggressive, I feel like there's fewer safer options because of all the injuries in the, in the starting pitcher landscape right now. I'm wondering what you think.
2: Yeah, I guess my argument would be safety. Like, I guess I feel pretty good about my top three. And then from (laughs) there I could move guys around in any number of ways. And now that's not saying the guy I have ranked four could be 17, but he could be eight. He could be seven, He could be nine. Um, so, for me, I think that even solidified it more, which is like if the whole thing from four on is going to be personal preference, maybe some things we see in spring training, um, you know, wh- how the draft board falls for you. You're saying, I'm either going to make sure I get one of the top two or three guys,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or I'm going to be. R- I'm going to be drafting a guy early that I have some question marks on. So for me, I, I would rather take the shot that the guy I have ranked three, four or five falls to eight, you know, starting pitcher eight in a draft. I'm in realizing that like the gap for me between, you know, these starting pitchers at the top, regardless of the top three is, is not really all that large. And there's a lot of names that, You and I both have in our top 10 that in years past, people would be like, What is that guy doing? And why is that person Mm -hmm. top 10? And it's like, There's no Shane McClanahan. Um, There's no Brandon Woodruff now. There's no Sandy Alcantara. Um, Not that he would be top 10, but we're not getting, we're probably not getting Robbie Ray until, you know, the middle of the season.
1: Jacob deGrom is a huge mystery. Right. Yeah.
2: DeGrom DeGrom is a mystery. Scherzer, who's now back pitching, but like, are you taking Scherzer in your top 10? Like you would have in the past, probably Mm -hmm. not given the age and and injuries. And this is kind of like a a pretty consistent thing across the board. So, yeah, to me, this further solidified my idea of like, I'm going to wait and see how the board falls rather than, you know, rush for the top two names who everybody knows are the top two names. All right,
1: so let's get to that. Um, Why don't you unveil your top 10? Then I will read mine. I think we have pretty similar names in our top 10, maybe just in a slightly different order, Uh, but go ahead.
2: So number one, I have Garrett Cole. Number two is Spencer Strider. Number three is Zach Wheeler. Number four is Luis Castillo. Number five is Corbin Burns. Number six is Kevin Gossman. Number seven is Pablo Lopez. Number eight is Tyler Glasnow. Number nine is Zach Gallon, and number ten is Max Freed.
1: Okay, so we have the we have the exact same players within our top ten, just in a different order. I have Cole Strider one, two as well. I have Kevin Gossman at three, so three spots higher. I have Luis Castillo at four, Zach Wheeler at five, Corbin Burns at six, Zach Gallon at seven, Tyler Glasnow at eight, uh, Pablo Lopez at nine, and Max Freed at 10. So when we start on this list here, I it, I would kind of went back and forth between Cole and Strider. I think if you wanted to shoot for the upside with the strikeouts and some just projected ERA improvement, which I think is very, mm-hmm. very possible. Strider did have a 3.86 ERA this season, um, but the whip was 1.09, had 281 strikeouts. I think you could make that case if you wanted to go for the strikeouts, go for it. With Cole, 2.63 ERA, the expected ERA was almost a full run higher, but um, gonna win a Cy Young award this year. The strikeout rate was a little lower than you would expect. Um, But I think as far as safety, I think Cole is, the floor is is very high there. I think Strider is the upside candidate, but Cole, if you wanna start safe, he's probably the, the best way to go.
2: Yeah, I th- I think so for sure. I mean, you know, I was wrong on the upside of Strider two years ago because I was worried he was a two pitch pitcher, which historically speaking is not something you want to target. We obviously know that he has you know surpassed what is typical of a two pitch pitcher. But again, we're now we're nitpicking between are you number one or are you number two? Yeah. Um, so the idea of a pitcher who has more pitches to offer who still has strikeout upside. Um, I think there's a little more security there, as you mentioned. Um, And I also think that the cutter was really important for Garrett Cole because I do think it helped to mitigate some of the home run issues that we've seen from him in the past. And so I just feel a little bit better. The home run issues were a huge concern for me. Um, and so I just feel a little bit better about Garrett Cole than I do about Strider. Obviously you're happy with, with either one of those guys. Um, I will say I had Gossman third on my initial run. Um, and as you know, I've been also going through starting pitcher rankings um, with Nick Pollock over at pitcher List talking about starting pitcher stuff. And there were some interesting things that he brought up to me. Um, I, I think that knocked Gossman out of that spot for me. One is the whip is not, great for somebody you're yep. taking this high um he had a 124 whip last year and everybody was like what he had a, he had a 363 babbit so obviously that's not going to sustain um and the babib fell to 323 um which is you know it fell uh it didn't fall all that far and so he had a 1.18 whip which yep. that's not really good for somebody you want to take that high um and then the interesting thing uh pitcher List has this stat Uh, which is called ICR, which stands for ideal contact rate. So it basically um, tallies up the barrels and solid contact um, that a pitcher gives up on the total number of batted ball events. Um, Gossman's rate uh, was, what's the the number here? Sorry. Gossman was 16th percentile. He had a 50, uh, a ICR rate near 50%. So when you have two really bad babab ears in a row, and then you also look at the fact that the pitcher is giving up a significant number amount, sorry, of of good contact, that maybe tells us that that Babib is not fluky. And sure, so we shouldn't earned. really expect it to go down. So Gossman is still – I mean, he's still in my top 10. But for me, I just think – I think the, the batting average against is going to stay up. I think the whip is going to stay up. Um, And so – I think he's not as – I'm not as comfortable with him as the guys I had above him like Luis Castillo and Wheeler and Burns who, what, two years ago was the number one.
1: I know. It's crazy that he's being bumped down so far. I I, I couldn't let him fall. And he's going into a contract year too. Mm -hmm. He's going to have all the motivation in the world.
2: Yeah. And who knows if he starts in Milwaukee, right? I mean like there are a lot of people suggesting now that Woodruff is out for the year. That the Brewers would be better off trading Burns before the year starts, um, so they get a, the other team gets a full year of Corbin Burns, which is obviously going to be I mean. Milwaukee gets back a lot more in return. So what if Corbin Burns goes to a pitcher's park? Sure, right? Like we've always said that ballpark kind of works against him a little bit. So what if you have Corbin Burns, who you know still was had a three thirty nine ERA, a one oh seven WHIP, and 200 strikeouts on the year yeah. in a year <laughs> led the that people, league and
1: wh- led the national right. league and whip so.
2: in a year that people thought wasn't great yeah. um and he actually like was getting better as the, as the year went on too um yeah. so what if you get that version of Corbin Burns and now he's in city uh, you know city field now he's in somewhere like that's that. that's a, a pitchers park i know you would love that yeah <laughs> but now he's in somewhere that's that's a pitchers park i mean now again you're not like jumping somebody up drastically, but you're talking yep. about, yeah, Corbin Burns, obviously top five starting pitcher.
1: One thing about Zach Wheeler that I'm, I'm thinking about, he's been outstanding this postseason. We know that. But let's say the Phillies play all the way straight through the World Series and Wheeler ends up pitching, you know, 40 something innings in the postseason. In addition to, you know, what at 190, 195 innings he threw in the regular season. How much does that weigh into your thinking about the carryover effect into the next season?
2: Yeah, I mean that's the Sandy Alcantara question, right? I mean, um were people concerned about Sandy Alcantara's innings going into this year when they when he had so many innings before, if he hadn't gotten hurt at the end of this year, would the innings have been a concern? I think obviously they they weigh in a little bit, but I think that because we, you know, we talked last week about how injuries were a factor for so many pitchers, um I'm not going to really let injuries dictate so much of my draft strategy at the top which is i mean i have tyro glass now in my top 10 so obviously that's the case because for me i'm looking at a pitcher who's probably going to be elite when he's not injured and so if i'm playing in a non-nfbc format where i have an il spot then i'm super comfortable taking wheeler third because if he's hurt, I put him on my IL, I pick up another pitcher, I'm still getting stats to add to the Wheeler stats. And we've seen a lot of good waiver wire starting pitching where if Wheeler throws 160 and I need 30 innings from a waiver wire spot, when you combine that together, I'm getting what is probably put it pretty elite production. Now, if I'm in an NFBC <clears throat> format or I'm in a draft-and-hold format and I can't make waiver claims or I can't stash an IL, then sure, maybe I bump him below Luis Castillo, who doesn't have similar concerns, or, or Corbin Burns. But I, I don't think I'm dropping him out of my top five.
1: Uh, it's a perfect segue into Tyler Glass now. What number did you have him at? I had him eighth. I had him eighth as well. And, and I think in the years previous – when he was healthy to start a season, I usually, he was a fade for me. Cause I was always like, he's not going to throw 180 innings. But after the year that we just saw with so many big name pitchers going down or missing significant periods of time, I think glass now that like you were just saying when he's pitching, he's elite. Like that's not a question. It's just a matter of can he stay on the field, but what you're getting from him. I mean, we saw just in 120 innings this year, he struck out 162 batters. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the ERA was maybe a little higher than you would you than you would like, but the WHIP was one point oh uh, eight, uh, which is also elite. So I, I'm going to be a lot more aggressive on Glasgow mm-hmm. next season than I've been in the past.
2: Yeah, I think listen, he was it one was it one twenty this year. I think was his his yeah. total innings. Yep. So. Does he get to 130? Does he get to 100? I mean, it depends if you're a glass half full or you know glass half empty kind of person. Um, yeah. I think even if you're projecting 130, like we just talked about that, like, you know, that's still you're going to get really solid production out of that in that 130. And so, like, you know, the guys I had below him are guys like Zach Gallen, who's probably safer, you know, in terms of injury concerns, but doesn't have near the ceiling. Or Max Freed, who also has his own issues. He had a blister. He had some arm troubles. So like, you know, and then we'll we'll get to the guys in our next set of 10. But I, I'd rather just take the chance on the upside, knowing that, you know, I, I'm going to get really good production when he's on the on the field.
1: So I have Max Freed at, at 10 on my list. He was excellent when he was healthy this season. He's generally had a – he has an ERA right around three for his career, has mm-hmm. – arguably the best or not even arguably the best offense in baseball backing him. So, you know, the win potential is going to be there if he's healthy next season. I think the, maybe not the, the upside of some of these other names we're going to talk about, but sometimes, you know, safe and track record is okay to follow um, where I would have no problem with having freed as my number one. If I waited on Sorry, starting pitcher
2: for sure. And he gets all the same team context benefit that we give to Strider um, probably gonna do well in wins, even though like we're not really trying to predict that ratios are gonna be really safe. Is he gonna be healthy? Who knows? Maybe had some forearm issues, but again, mm-hmm. we we've talked about that baked into the cost. Is he does he have Tower Glass now strikeout upside? No. Um, and that's why you know we both have Glass now ahead of him. That said, it's not like he isn't getting strikeouts, right? Yeah. This isn't like Kenta Maeda out there. You're still getting four category production um on a really good team. And so I'm super comfortable taking him inside of the top ten and you know hoping I get 150, you know, maybe more would be great out of him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we went through our top 10. Do you have any other takeaways we, from that? Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I think we have to discuss that the major surprise for a lot of people is probably going to be that we both had Pablo Lopez in our top ten. Fair. Um fair. And coming into the year, if you had told people in 2024, Pablo Lopez is a top 10 starter, they probably would have told you you're an idiot. Um, And even though, you know, some of that was injury related in Miami, he wasn't a a picture of health, but we knew he had flashes of, of what he could be. But he was really good this year, like really good. And that's even including a stretch where we know he's where he struggled. And people were like, oh, Pablo Lopez isn't an a C. Like, look, look at what happened. But he threw 194 innings with a 366 ERA. Um, his strikeout rate was um, he had a- almost almost 11, like 10.5 strikeouts per nine. It was 29.2 uh, percent. 1.15 whip. Like he he went to driveline. He developed that sweeper that angers people so much for, for calling it a sweeper. <laughs> um, you know, even though we've had multiple like Adam Wainwright was great in explaining it when he was doing the the game of like yeah, why it is a different thing.
1: Man, I'm um, so excited. I mean of Wainwright, you know, to, to finish up his playing career, but I think he's going to be a huge asset for yeah. fans uh, to mm-hmm. learn about the game and kind of tying the the analytics and you know the pitchability that we always hear about. Uh, tying those two things together for the average person and to make it palatable, I, I think it's going to be great.
2: Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, he's he was tremendous, um, and Pablo Lopez is tremendous. Um, I just think the new the new Arsenal he has, you know, the swing and miss was for real. He does not give up a lot of good hard contact, um, yep. and I think you're going to be happy if you wait. Like he's a guy where if I'm waiting and I wind up getting Pablo Lopez as my ace, and I was able to take three or four hitters before him, like I, I feel phenomenal about that.
1: So interesting with like expected ERA on, on baseball. savant. uh, so lowest among pitchers with, uh, 200 balls in play, uh, among starting pitchers, Max Fried was 2.75. Uh, second among starters, Pablo Lopez at three, even, um, number three among starting pitchers spencer strider so uh just to give you a little window and into, into how good pablo lopez was mm-hmm. this year i mean the strikeouts were insane i think he had 230 plus uh strikeouts this year as well so uh i think definitely deserved uh I, and like you said the injury history coming into this year uh was a little little shaky uh so much so that when he was traded to the twins it was referred to as the Luisa rise trade
2: um, right yeah But
1: we won. And, you know, Arise was great. He had a good year.
2: A win-win for both. Both teams got what they needed.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, um, all right. So let's hop into our our next group here, uh, 11 through 20. Uh, Eric, you can go ahead.
2: Uh, 11, I had George Kirby. 12 was Freddie Peralta. 13 was Walker Bueller. 14 was Aaron Nola. 15 was Tarek Skubel. 16. Yuri Perez, 17. Grayson Rodriguez, 18. Bobby Miller, 19. Joe Ryan, and 20. Zach Eflin. And now you're starting to see why DJ and I were saying that. Once you get toward like the bottom of the top 20, you're like, oh, okay, this is weird. And I, I made I made a little tier of, you know, for me, 15 to 18. Scubal Perez, Rodriguez, and and Miller is high upside young pitchers who. Maybe that's an aggressive ranking, but there's ace potential there. They did some things this year that I really liked. Obviously, everybody knows what Tarek Skubal did this year. Um, And so you're reaching a point in your draft where you just say, you know, screw it, I'm going to go for upside.
1: Chances are this is what's going to happen. Your first starting pitcher, you know, if we're talking about like a 12-team league, unless someone's super aggressive and they grab two starting pitchers early, you're going to get a pitcher you feel really good about. And then your next pitcher is probably going to be a breakout candidate. And that's not like a bad way to go. That's the way I'm kind of rationalizing it right now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a breakout yeah. candidate or, or a, or a Zach Um, or, <laughs> you know, like somebody like that, a breakout candidate or, you know, we, I mean, you know, there are some guys that we'll talk about that are on the fringes of, of the top 20 where I could see people saying, you know what, there's safety here. Um, and they're a little boring, but like maybe I took Tyler Glass and as was my ace. And so getting, you know, a more boring pitcher who doesn't have breakout potential, but also doesn't have a, a really low floor is valuable. But I, right. I think obviously you, you would like to draft for the upside, um, especially in like a 12 team format where we're able to use the wire so much more regularly.
1: Yeah. So my 11 through 20 I have George Kirby at 11 as well Freddie Peralta at 12. so that's my top 12 which I think is very clear for me mm-hmm. but that's my top 12. there is it's wide open after this I have Logan Gilbert at 13. I don't think he was in your top 20. I have Logan he, Webb at 14. I don't yeah, think he Logan was in Gilbert
2: your top is my 20. Logan Gilbert is my 21 and Logan Webb is my 22. So okay, we're talking <laughs> we're like right on the fringes there those are the guys I was yeah. saying like you could just go with Logan Webb doesn't have the upside but you know what you're getting and there's some safety there
1: right exactly so Aaron Nola I have at 15 Framber Valdez I have at 16 as long as we ignore his start yesterday uh Tarek Skubel we have at 17 uh Yuri Perez at 18 Walker Bueller at 19 and 20 I have Jesus Lazardo. I have a feeling I'm going to change my mind a lot of times during the offseason but he's one of those (laughs) ones where I'm like that feels Feels good for now. Uh feels safe enough, but I know I'll probably change my mind. But Lazardo is my number 20.
2: Yeah, I have Lazardo um 28 right now. Um, and then I guess we could talk about Frambro later. I, I have him th- I have him 32nd. Um yeah. so that would be our biggest our biggest discrepancy. But I think the other guys are pretty solid in there. Bueller obviously, you know, he was a top 10 pitcher before getting hurt. Maybe we're not going to see the strikeouts we saw in his, you know, breakout year, um, you know, the the 2021 kind of like huge strikeouts. He's been trending down, but we're still going to get good ratios, really solid team context, really good pitcher in general. Um, Freddie Peralta was the best pitcher in baseball in the second half of the year. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure there's an argument against it. If there is, it's because you could say Tarek Skubel was. I mean, they, they were both yeah. like lights out. Um, so those guys make make total sense. Um, was it weird to you that you were putting Tarek Skubal in your top 20?
1: Uh, the more I dug into it, no, uh, honestly not. Because I think if you're deciding between like Yuri Perez, Walker Bueller, like that, Grayson Rodriguez, like all those pitchers, like, I don't know. I feel like Skubal's on even footing with those guys, honestly, in mm-hmm. potential and what we saw in the second half too. I think maybe the only thing you, or not the only thing, but one of the factors here is like, are the Tigers going to provide any offense at all to him next season?
2: Yeah. I mean, I always say when you see jumps like this in season, after a season, whatever, are they tied to tangible changes or not? Yeah. Uh, if they're not tied to tangible changes, it's harder to buy into it. Well, Scooble had a mile and a half velocity increase. Um, which led to way better performance on his four-seam fastball. So that's Mm -hmm. a tangible change, which led to results. And then his changeup, which he started to lean on way more as the year went on, had a 29% swing and strike rate and led all of baseball with a 41% CSW. Um, And I didn't like his slider in the past because I thought it was inconsistent. So the fact that he's now using that as a complementary pitch and he has an elite fastball and changeup. To me, I think that makes that gives him a safer floor with the ceiling to, as you mentioned, belong with these other guys. Because if he does get that slider to become more consistent, you're looking at three plus consistently plus pitches. Um, and it's hard to find a pitcher who has three consistently plus pitches that is not a fantasy ace or the highest end of the high end SP twos that you could find.
1: What's crazy about Scoobol was in 2021, the barrel percentage against him, he was in the one percentile in the bad way uh, as far as barrel rate against uh, this year, 94th percentile. That is like, that is crazy. how Like you could see the potential even then, but he was hit hard. He was, you know, he was uh victim of the home run ball very often in that season. You could still see the ingredients of a potential breakout here. So mm-hmm. I think we are seeing it. The big question is like, how hard is he throwing in the spring? And if he is throwing as hard as he did in the second half uh, this year, can he maintain that for like a full 160 innings? We're not going to know that, you know, we're going to just have to wait and see, but that's the chance you take with a player. Like you said, like there was no smoke and mirrors between behind his performance this season.
2: Yeah. Um, The Aaron Nola thing is interesting because he's another free agent. Um, Yep. So we're going to see where he ends up and he's somebody who, you know, is, is maybe not the pitcher we knew in the past. Um, but what I was intrigued by is that he he is starting to change how he pitches. He's using his sinker a little more than his four-seamer because the four-seamer doesn't have the velocity it used to. Um, he's mixing in a cutter now. There there are there are some signs that he is evolving as a pitcher, and depending on where he winds up, he may not have the team context that he has with the Phillies, um, but he could have a much better home ballpark. And I think there's an interesting pitch mix there. If he can alter it in a way that is slightly more effective, and so maybe if he maybe he goes to a team that helps him to optimize the pitch mix. Um, and then I was surprised I had Grayson Rodriguez here because his end of year stats are not great. Yeah. Um, and I will admit that like talking to Nick about this moved him from somewhere like in my mid twenties. So I wasn't like you know he was. Once the, the number one overall pitching prospect in baseball, we've seen the flashes of how dominant he was. So it wasn't like I was low on him. But yeah. I moved him from my mid-20s into the top 15 because um, he he came back and, and looked good. So from July 1st on, he was ninth among all starting pitchers in war. In 76 and two-thirds innings, he had a two fifty eight ERA um yeah. to end the season yeah. now that didn't come with uh an incredible strikeout rate um he was at a 24 strikeout rate um but we've seen him miss bats before so if you're telling me it's a he had a mid two era a 1.10 whip in 76 and two-thirds innings and the only thing that was really missing because we love the team context with the young orioles yep. is that he didn't miss a lot of bats yep. well we've seen that he flashes good breaking balls and a solid changeup and a a good fastball that he runs up to 98. So I've seen the components of a pitcher who can miss bats. Um, So I'm, I'm just, I believe that maybe we now get that more often. Um, And second half version of Grayson Rodriguez was a really solid pitcher. And so I'm banking on the upside there where I find like him and Yuri Perez. I don't there's maybe more strikeout upside with Yuri Perez so he's a little higher for me but i think they're both really strong potential future aces.
1: Yeah, i was a little surprised to see that too but i i this morning i was kind of breaking down Rodriguez's season and um you know, he was on a couple of my teams so obviously i i benefited from his success in the second half but to really, you know, if you look at the surface stats the season ERA you might you might lose sight of the of the progress that he made in the second half and just really he was a different pitcher after coming back from the minors. Uh, Logan Gilbert is a tricky one for me because it's easy to see, especially with like the excellent control. His strikeout rate was up this year. There's got to be like another level here. I don't know if it's just figuring out the right pitch mix for him, mm-hmm. but he's another pitcher where I see the ingredients there for him to take that next step forward. Maybe it's a little aggressive ranking for me, Um, but it is crazy. If you look at the Mariner staff, like, Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, Luis, (laughs) Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, all in my top 13. Like this should be a, this should be a buzzsaw team, right?
2: I will say that I, so I've, I've done long more rankings. I have, Bryce Miller, 30, and Brian Wu, 31 right now, which yeah. means I have I have all five Mariners starting pitchers inside my top 31 fantasy yeah. starters. Um, yes, it should be an absolutely lights-out rotation with a good bullpen. Um, I would not be surprised if the Mariners are next year's Orioles in the sense of the team that like takes a huge leap forward um, and we see them really contend. The Logan Gilbert thing is interesting because the first half of the year, his splitter was crazy, and you were like, "Up, oh, yeah. he found he found that pitch." Um, it really struggled in the second half of the year, but you know, when I put him twenty-one, it was because I said, "Okay, the splitter didn't do well, but it still missed bats in the second half of the year, so it got hit hard." Um, it it was not an effective pitch in terms of defense-independent ERA, which you know yeah. measures the ERA on a pitch regardless of how it's it's defended. Um, which is pretty obvious from you know the name. But when you're still have a swing and strike rate of 29% on a pitch, it says, okay, something about this pitch is working. The pitch as a whole might not work, but even when it's struggling, there's something really good here. So I'm just banking on a young pitcher who we know consistently works to improve his arsenal because yeah. we know where he we know he goes to drive line. We've seen all the videos, we've seen him tinkering, like he knows their issues. And so yeah, I'm I'm maybe I don't maybe believe he fixes it as much as you believe, but I th- it comes to a point where like, you have to draft on the upside and what we've seen. And even when things aren't clicking for him, he's a really solid pitcher. So if things do yeah. click, he's definitely a top 20 pitcher.
1: So I think the big question from our listeners here will be, where is Blake Snell? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's in my top 30, but I was a little resistant to – include him in my top 20 mostly because I will probably not be drafting him next year unless you know unless he falls unless he falls considerably I'm assuming that's the way you feel about him as well
2: yes um so Snell is also in my top 30 um he is another pitcher who is a free agent um and so again team context will will matter and will be important um I, he's up. You, you can't knock a, a 225 ERA. He was great. Um, it came with a 374 X ex, expected ERA, it came with a 406 Sierra. Um, it came with a 13% or 13.3% walk rate and a 1.19% or 1.19 whip. Yeah. So there, there were some flaws, even though he was electric from, you know, an ERA standpoint. Um, and also the, you know, you love the swing strike rate strikeouts, all of that. But again, remember like he struggled at the beginning of the year, which he tends to do. He's, he is not really great out of the gate usually. Um, and so I just didn't feel like he was as safe as some of the guys I had above him. So he's in my top 30, um and maybe gets bumped up if he moves into a really good team context, but yeah, I I'm I I couldn't I couldn't slide him in ahead of some of these other guys.
1: So Blake Snell or or Justin Steele next year for you?
2: Um, actually, that's that's funny. Um, oh no, they were close in my rankings. I have Blake Snell higher. I I will yeah. say I have Blake Snell twenty five, and I have Cole Reagan's twenty six. Um, okay. and we'll see how. I wind up on, on Reagan's, but like, I think people forget that Cole Reagan's was a, a a really highly valued prospect who had multiple injuries and surgeries. Um, He, it seems like he came out of nowhere, but he didn't actually come out of nowhere. His progress was just delayed by injury. And now we're kind of seeing it come to light. Um, I did want to mention, I'm curious, where do you, do you, do you you even have Zach Eflin ranked? (laughs)
1: He was on the cusp of my top 20. I was kind of going back and forth between Eflin, uh, Lizardo, and Joe Ryan for my mm-hmm. final uh, for number 20. So yeah. he's right there.
2: So I I moved Eflin into my top 20 after digging in a little more. I didn't expect to have him here because I think everybody understands that this was a little bit of a peak year for Zach Eflin. Yeah. Um, and so you're saying, okay, I don't want to pay for the peak. But I think if we were paying for the peak, he's probably drafted inside of the top 10. I don't think putting him 20 is is paying for the peak. Yeah. What I found interesting was, what was the one thing everybody said about Zach Eflin coming into the year? Oh, if only he uses the curveball more. Well, he jumped up his curveball usage 7% going to Tampa, um, and that worked really well for him. Okay, well, what else did he do? Uh, in the second half of the year, when he saw a big swinging strike rate, bump he started reducing his sinker usage and introducing a four seam more and using the four seam in two strike accounts two strike counts up in the zone and in the second half of the year his four seam had a 21.3 percent swinging strike rate he also changed his slider in the middle of the year to be more of a sweeper Um, took over five miles an hour off of it, added sweep to it. Second half of the year, his slider had a 27.5% swinging strike rate. So we saw a really good year from him. And then we saw the Rays making changes in the middle of the year that were also having an impact because they were allowing Zach Eflin to miss more bats. So... I, I'm not paying for the peak, but I'm paying for a pitcher that went to an organization that's really good with developing pitching, that had a clear plan to develop him, that turned turned him into a pitcher who had an incredible year, yeah. um, you know, with a three a three fifty ERA, hundred and seventy seven point two innings pitched, um, and then we had an even better second half of the year. Which I think shows it was certainly wasn't fluky in the sense that like he wasn't pitching that far over his head. Um yeah. and so again, innings concerns because he's had injuries in the past. But we're getting to a point where like I like the team context, I like the changes he made, I like what I saw on the field this year, 20th overall, like you know, between him and and Logan Gilbert and you know uh, Logan Webb. Joe Musgrove, who I have just outside of my top twenty, yeah, I was like, going to mention Joe Musgrove. I, I think that I think that Zach Eflin belongs in that category of guys.
1: Yeah, Musgrove. You know, we'll see how he looks in the spring uh, in terms of his health. Of course, there was kind of a fluke accident in the beginning of the season, which delayed his start, but then uh, the shoulder issue toward the end. So we'll we'll have to see. Uh, he certainly warrants attention here. If he, you know, if, if he looks healthy in the spring, to me, he's a top twenty fantasy starting pitcher. Uh, Bobby Miller was close for me. Grayson Rodriguez was close for me. Uh, Cole Reagans, as you said, Joe Ryan. Uh, Kodai Senga kind of falls in the same area as like a, a Blake Snell for me, where um, we'll see about the control. It did get better mm-hmm. as the season moved along. Uh, but his xERA was a bit higher than his actual ERA. So um, we'll see about that. I, I would be comfortable with him as a, as a number two uh, fantasy starter, but I'm not sure if he could duplicate the ERA he had this season.
2: Talk to me about your profusive love of Framber Valdez.
1: I wouldn't say it's love. <laughs> I, I feel like well, here's the thing about Framber. It's the sinker. It gets hit hard. Uh, this year, <laughs> <Yes>. that, it, <laughs> this year we saw that. I mean, yesterday we, we we saw that as well. So the the Astros are a smart team, and they know what's getting hit hard here. What I think is going to be interesting for Framber is how does he evolve. Moving mm-hmm. forward, does he make those tweaks to his arsenal? Throw the throw the sinker less, and um, you know, throw the pitches that are more effective more often. We will see. Uh, I do like the team context. I do think he flashes that ace upside as well. Um, so, what I love him as my number one starter on a mixed league staff, probably not. But I would, I could definitely live with him as as my number two.
2: Sure. Yeah. I I, I see that. I think. My concern is I really liked the first half of the year, Frambo, Fram, Fram Burr. And part of that was because I really liked the cutter. Yeah. Um, He had a 251 ERA in the first half of the season. Um, In the first half of the season, he was throwing the cutter 16% of the time. It had a 22% swing and strike rate. Then all of a sudden he threw the cutter 9% of the time in the second half. He also seemed to lose his feel for it a little bit. Because um, it's one of her, his newer pitches, and yeah. so he started to use, he started to rely on the changeup more, which is fine. It's a solid pitch. Um, it does limit his strikeout upside a little bit when compared to the cutter. So, to me, it's how much do I trust that the first half Framber Valdez that had that really interesting cutter wasn't, re- but was still relying on the sinker a lot. Like, could come back to a Framber Valdez that still has the cutter also uses the sinker less and really kind of like hits all of checks, all of these boxes. If he does, I think he definitely is a top 20 pitcher. I guess I just am now at a point where I, I don't know. I just don't know if we're going to consistently see that. I think he may be a guy who flashes and then goes back to doing what he was doing before and flashes and goes back. So, you know, he's probably not going to be a huge strikeout guy. For us, um, you know, I think that he's like a, a mid eight K per nine, you yep. know, low three ERA, uh, good team contact, still has a tendency to like walk more people than you want with like a one one a one fifteen, one sixteen type of ERA. Um, and so there are some blemishes there that I think put him in like a twenty to thirty range, maybe.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Uh, we'll move on here to a couple pitchers to watch uh, this offseason. It could be com- coming over to MLB. But before we do that, this Sunday night, two of the NFL's most explosive offensive offenses meet in Philadelphia. When the high flying Dolphins take on the Eagles, get ready for what should be a shootout at 7 p.m. Eastern this Sunday, only on NBC and Peacock.
0: Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: So let's just briefly introduce, uh, before we go here in a couple of minutes, uh, uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, uh, expected to be one of the most sought after names, uh, this offseason. you know, great numbers in Japan. I mean, his numbers are insane. Sub two ERA <laughs> for his <laughs> career, uh, very stingy walk rate, just 25 years old. I mean, everything is matching up for him to get a monster contract this off season. So tell the people a little bit about what you, what you've noticed, what you've read about Yamamoto.
2: Yeah, so uh first of all the exact number that you mentioned it is a 172 ERA in 7 innings of professional baseball in Japan. Um it's crazy, it's stupid. Um it's actually basically like what Tanaka did before he came over and we know that Tanaka was was great with the Yankees for a few years. Um Yamamoto has better pitching numbers than Shohei did uh, you know when Shohei came over just for comparison's sake. Um Yamamoto is a mid 90s fastball guy can run it up to like you know 97 98 ish has like a big power curve kind of like a 12 6 curve um a 90 mile an hour cutter uh that's that's kind of nasty um and also a fork ball which is not a ghost fork from kodai senga but honestly like in the the games i watched the highlights i watched isn't like that much worse uh it's still pretty good and he's got elite command and he also um has a feel for his fastball where it's not always like a straight four seam he'll put some run on it he'll you know he can kind of tinker with it a little bit um and so if you saw a pitcher like that he's a top 15 starter easy yeah. the questions are how does it correlate to the majors um he he isn't a pitcher who just relies on feel which i think is better for expecting good performance out of him because he has elite command, but he's not just going to beat major league hitters because he has elite command. He has really good, just like raw stuff. Yeah, He wasn't a huge strikeout pitcher in Japan, like just a little bit over nine K per nine. So we can expect that to go down a little bit in the majors. So I don't think he's going to like come out and, you know, blow hitters away like Spencer Strider style. So that dings him a little bit in terms of rankings. And then you have just the the human side of it, right? He's coming to a new league, twenty five years old, moving to a new country. Um, what is the what is the team context? Uh, how do how do they help him to feel comfortable and at home and on his routine and and all of that yeah. sort of stuff? Um, and so I think that there's that inherent risk, which will keep him down the rankings a little bit. But like, yeah. I think you could easily put him inside of your top thirty based on raw ability and the potential upside of a 25-year-old who could just come over and be lights out.
1: So the name that's not getting as much attention but still is ex- expected to be posted this offseason is Shota Emanaga, uh, who I think is more of a field type of pitcher, sub-3 ERA in each of the last three seasons in Japan. A left-hander, uh, just turned 30 in September, so a different situation uh, than Yamamoto for sure, but I think someone who should find a home in a rotation this offseason as well.
2: Yeah, I think his ranking will be fully dependent on the team context because he is a feel lefty, right? He has a 92 mile an hour fastball, um, but he has five or six pitches. He's got cutters and splitters and he's got a, a sweepier slider and a loopier curve and he'll throw a whole bunch of stuff at you. And so... Does he get to an organization that will optimize that pitch mix well? And does he get to an organization that has a defense behind him that will benefit from the fact that he's probably not going to strike out a lot of guys, but he's going, he's going to, you know, induce a lot of soft contact? Um, I will say, like, neither one of these guys is, um, um oh my God. Uh, Shinta, uh, what what's Shinta, Fujinami? Shintaro yes. Fujinami, who came over, um, and was with the A's and then the Orioles, where you saw him pitch sometimes and you were like, oh, th- this is filthy, but the command was a mess. Um, both of these guys have plus command. I think they're going to remain in rotations. I think they belong in MLB starting rotations. Obviously, Yamamoto is a way higher ceiling. Um, but uh, Ina- I- Imanaga. I think, is somebody who will be on on radars and be like a solid, you know, round out your rotation pitcher if he goes to the right team.
1: Good stuff. So we uh, next week, we're likely going to be talking about our staff slow mock draft, which we're starting uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, with the Rudder World Baseball crew, with some of our friends around the industry. So uh, we'll have some information coming out of that, including where some of these starting pitchers are. Are going early so check that out next week remember to, to subscribe to circling the bases wherever you get your podcast you can actually find all your favorite NBC sports shows on Amazon music just head to amazon.com slash NBC sports also do yourself a favor check out the rotor world football show we're going into what week seven already? is that right yeah crazy sure. crazy uh, All the insight you need, waiver wire pickups, uh, week preview ahead, everything you need to know. uh, Check that out again, amazon.com slash NDC sports. Also follow us on Twitter if you don't already. Eric is at Samsky NYC. I'm at DJ Short. Take care, everyone. Enjoy the playoffs. We'll see you next time.